And do we want to do 10 seconds of silence for the ambient? We should probably do 10, 10 seconds of silence. Do you want me to count it in? Sure. Okay, uh, 10 seconds of silence starting now. You're listening to Force Majeure. <laughs> <laughs> welcome to another episode of Coruscant Nights. Hey there, flight fans. Hello, and welcome to the Starbirds podcast. <laughs> Greetings, and welcome. <laughs> See, we have to edit that in perfectly for our intro. That's perfect. We should just leave all of that in, including the 10 seconds of silence, because we are talking today about how to make an actual play, or how to start making an actual play podcast. Uh, my name is Mark Eberhardt. I'm joined here today with four of my favorite podcasters, um, and I will let them introduce themselves, starting with the person at the top left for me, which is Andrew. Hi, I'm Andrew. I'm the GM and host for the Dicey Cantina podcast, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, next up is Dwayne. Hey, I'm Dwayne. I'm the GM, and I do all the background shenanigans for uh, the Flight Risk podcast. And I'm, I'm pumped to be here to talk about stuff I barely know anything about. Adam? Hello, I'm Adam Beltane. I am the GM and showrunner for the Force Majeure podcast. And having had a look at the questions that are coming up, y'all have put far more thought into this than I did. <laughs> and Sam. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm the GM for the Starbirds podcast. And uh, yeah, I also know little to nothing. So I'm here I'm here mainly for notes, to take notes and, and to learn. So. <laughs> It's interesting. I think all five of us, I don't know how much experience we had with audio before this. I know you did a little bit of work, Dwayne. Did you, didn't yeah. you do a... Well, I, before I started Flight Risk, I was doing like comic book podcasts where it was like roundtable discussion interview stuff, which was just, you know, two tracks of people talking. There was really nothing to it. So there was nothing like this, but I had a little bit. And I did. Yeah, I, I did make an uh, an audio drama based off a comic book I wrote, which was a lot of fun and made me made me learn to hate Audacity, which is a program we're talking about a lot today. But I, I've learned to hate that program. <laughs> and Andrew, you had a little edit ex experience, right? Or at least video editing, which sort of maybe has some crossover. Yeah, it's got a it's got a little bit of flair to go with it, of knowing what to, to keep, what to move out of the way. But yeah, did uh, video editing is uh, is my background. But I think between all of us, we we sort of started doing this for fun and kind of on our own, and then sort of leaned on each other for tips and tricks and to to learn how to really put together uh, a podcast. I love that we're all nodding in unison to everything you say, Mark. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I bugged Adam for weeks before I started and like, here, here's, here's the first episode. What do you think? How terrible is it on a scale of <laughs> one to dreadful? And Adam's like, no, don't worry about it. Just here, here's, and he gave me his entire editing process and I still use that to this day. Yeah. I had no experience at all. Well, that, that's why I did it. I was entirely self-taught as, as anyone who's listened to the first few episodes of Force Majeure can tell you, because they are, I keep looking at them and going, I really need to go back and remaster these and I have no idea where to start because they're not good. They're not good. In fact, that's one of the things I quite like listening to my own show, being being deeply smug and tangent straight away, is that I can hear how I've learned as an editor as I'm going along. Going back to the older stuff makes mm -hmm. me cringe now. Mm -hmm. But yeah, when I started, I, I was entirely self-taught from YouTube tutorials mostly. And I thought, when, when you started asking me, Sam, I thought, let's just get this down on paper because it took me months to get even that basic flowchart. And if I can help people leapfrog ahead, then without having to mess around. 
yeah, got it done. Yeah, it was definitely a, a leg or, or two legs or three legs up. Yeah, I felt like I was coming in with a, almost an expert idea of what to do just because you, you get that raw audio and you're like, this sounds okay, but it doesn't sound at all professional. Yeah, it was, it was nice. Yeah, for sure. Well, we're hoping today to give some more tricks, tips, pointers, things we learned along the way, because today, February 7th, is Star Wars Podcast Day. Back in 1999, the first Star Wars podcast, Jedi Talk, came out today. There was an internet in 1999? There was the internet. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, the the tubes were all set up. So the most common questions that come up, I think, are the ones we should probably start with. The questions that everybody has starting something out, starting something fresh. What kind of equipment do you use? What sort of mic do you have? Do you like it? So when I started off, we were recording in person and... I ended up having to pick up a Xenix massive, big, kind of proper, like a, a musician's mixer to try and get all the microphones in. And we started off using the really cheap Behringer karaoke mics. You know, like you get a three pack of them for 20 quid in a little carry case. We started off using them and they were great to start off going. Then we moved on to the Samsung Pro Q2U. And that was just a phenomenal, phenomenal microphone. It's XLR and USB. It's crystal clear. I still have one of those. That's my backup microphone. The only problem with them is they're rocking horse teeth at the moment. You can't find them, which is where my my personal one broke. I moved on to a Rode Podcaster, which is very nice. It's extremely sensitive compared to the Samsung and my wet mouth noise. But I, I certainly wouldn't have started out with, with the podcaster. I think it's it's too much. I, I still find it a bit too much kit sometimes. But if you can afford one, the Samsung Q2U is a f- cracking piece of kit, especially for the money. I, I, I can't fault it. When I started, it was I like I had no, no anything. Mike. I, I was literally using the earbud corded mic that it came with my cell phone plugged into my computer for my mic and like for flight risk we don't we live across the united states and in canada so we, we don't play in person I've, I've never really played in person with anybody before so i've always just had my own setup so i'd say for the first year or so i was using just what would be like a, a seven dollar headphone mic you could get from like best buy or whatever and i was using that for the longest time and then just in the last year i think it's a, a toner q9 it's like a little kit that i got for christmas my wife bought it for me it was really cool almost like an actual like looking like i'm a professional mic person now and it works for me and i think the whole i will talk more about but the whole mic conversation that's what scares a lot of people like oh i don't have the good setup and like Mm. if you just have anything with a mic you can start and it may not be the best quality in the world but you can at least get started and that's that's that didn't stop me i said literally it's something i bought from best buy for like under ten dollars got me started i'm currently speaking into my blue yeti which i've been using since the beginning We will get into the playing at a table later because that was a whole discussion we had yesterday. In the first season of my show, you would hear a lot of episodes that had two people across the table, each in their own blue Yeti. I think the microphone is really nice, but it's a lot nicer for just one person recording. It picks up everything. So you're going to get a lot of echo if you have two mics at the same table. But I I really like it. It's a USB mic. Um, I've been using it since the beginning. And yeah, I think it's really nice. You can get them for between $80 and $120 US, depending on where you look and how hard you look. (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, I just followed Adam's advice again. It, you're going to find that's a theme. <laughs> Trying to be Adam is, you know, it's a it's a small quest, but it's a long one. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> he said, you know, try this out. And boom, that was it. That was, uh, yeah, I went with a Samsung Q2Us and I had a Behringer and a Shure mic at first. And then uh, I went out and just bought slowly and surely over the course of a couple months, uh, a full set of Q2Us. Ours also it was a local podcast, so everybody was set up around a Zoom, but we haven't gotten to that yet. But yeah, Q2Us, good stuff. I'm currently using a newer NW700, which is okay if you've never heard of it, because I did an Amazon search for podcasting microphones and then found <laughs> the cheapest kit. The The concept, so for me looking at equipment, Dicey Cantina was about four or five years in the making from deciding to want to start a podcast to actually releasing anything for anybody to listen to. And so I started really early on knowing that like the Blue Yeti was a good microphone, but you know, the Blue Snowball was a significantly cheaper microphone that was USB. And if I if I leave any advice for people today, the core advice would be is don't plan on using multiple snowball mics for in-person recording. Because that was the first thing I tried. I got four snowball mics, plugged them into four different USB ports on my computer for an in-person session. And it, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> it doesn't work at all that way. <laughs> so I, was say, I think this brings on to an important distinction, which took me a while to get my head around. That's the, dist- the difference between a condenser mic and a dynamic mic. Yes. The Yeti and the snowball are both uh, condensers so they pull in everything from everywhere whereas if you've got a dynamic like the podcaster or the samson or duane's toner yeah they're a lot more tighter focused which means you can get multiple people around the table with less less crosstalk you still get some mm-hmm. and again you can you can pick that up in in earlier episodes of force majeure before i learned to cut the bugger out Ooh. <laughs> Can I say bugger? I don't know. It's not very bad for the Brits, but... <laughs> I, you know, it's not even a thing for Americans. Yeah, it's not a bad <laughs> word where we love. <laughs> Cracking. No. <laughs> yeah, so with a, with a dynamic microphone, they are much better if you are planning on playing on person because it will definitely cut down the amount of, of bleed that it picks up. If you're able to record by yourself and you've got a decent room set up, then a condenser gives a much, much richer, crisper audio as long as you're better at making sure it's not going to pick up too much ambient sound and that sort of nonsense around it. Mm-hmm. Dynamics tend to have more of sort of the, the radio sound to them. Yeah. I recently tested out the Shure MV7, a microphone I can't particularly afford at the moment. But, you know, the other thing that's out there in terms of if you are trying to figure out what equipment that you want, at least here in the U.S., you can rent microphones relatively cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, you, there's a lot of online rental programs and things like that, that you can just uh, pay a short, a sm- smaller fee to try out all the best equipment that you want to try and then kind of target in where you want your budget to land. Or you can shotgun approach it like I did, and then it takes you quite a long time to actually get equipment that works for your podcast. (laughs) So the technical reason why they didn't all work is that blue microphones, I don't know if we even need to leave this in, but blue microphones all have uh, (laughs) digital names. And when they're plugged into your computer, if they have the same name, it thinks they're the same microphone. So it's only going to take one of them. So I actually had an issue with one of mine early on and I had to send it back to the company. And while it was there, I asked, hey, can you change the digital name on this microphone so that I can use two of them? And it worked. Oh, and it's, that's something that Blue offers for free as well. So if you it end is. up with a bunch it, of microphones but... you don't know what to do with, you can yeah. send it back to them. But yeah, ruined I... a recording day. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have two, if you've got two of them, you probably want to be in a different room than the other person you're recording with. 
So the, the next question I have is editing. Most of us are using different programs to edit. Andrew, why don't you talk about what you use, since I know you're unique among the group. Sure. So I don't know the first thing about audio. I'm I'm flying blind each step that I go. Each episode of the Dicey Canteen is going to sound slightly different in the way, because I'm always trying out new ways of processing the audio. But uh, because I have a video editing background, I have the Adobe Suite, which means that I have Adobe Audition, which is a robust tool for editing audio. And you can definitely get into over your head very quickly if you don't know the first thing about audio. But uh, tracking down some YouTube tutorials and things like that, have helped out. And so have you used any other programs? What do you like about Audition? I use Audition because it's a familiar editing interface. Uh, you know, the the Adobe products are somewhat similar across the line for the different things that they do. So I haven't ventured into any other programs just because I am familiar with tracking down troubleshooting for Adobe programs since I use okay. them. What I like about it is that it's got everything that you would want to have uh, and a relatively easy place to find. You know, there's a, you can start a new project. That new project can be their podcaster template. And then you can just steal a bunch of things off of that template to create tracks and things along those lines. The, the core thing that I end up that I had to learn how to do was how to take all the different tracks of audio and keep them synced together. And I do that through the very first thing that I end up doing is creating one multi-track out of the multiple tracks. So it's one file recording with everything synced before I get rid of the uh, dead air and, and the ums and pauses and things like that. And so I process each track, put it into a single thing and export that and then audition. And I'm sure this works the same for other programs. But for me, I'm able to then take each one of those channels, I guess is what they're called. And I can put those into a track in a multi-track edit. And then that's what allows me to... I created two shortcuts, uh, ripple delete, and uh, I, I don't even remember the other one. I only use ripple delete, so I can <laughs> highlight a, a section of audio I want to get rid of, hit a, just a single keystroke, and that shortens the thing down. And so I edit in real time. I end up listening to the the audio at, at one time speed and just uh, listen through a recording and just take out the chunks where I start to get bored. How about you, Dwayne? I know you're, you're using something different than the remaining three of us. <laughs> yeah. Like I, like I said earlier, I started with Audacity when I was doing my comic book podcast and even when I did my audio drama. And it was fine. Like, I don't know, maybe because I, I don't have the best computers in the world. It was fine when I was doing like two or three tracks of people talking. But when I went to a, a bigger production, when I was having music tracks, sound effects, voice modulation, all this other stuff that I wanted to do, Audacity was just so slow and kept crashing on me, which is probably just my crappy computer. But I just I was just done with it. And I don't even remember who recommended it. I think it was Jeff Stormer of the Party One podcast. I think, yeah, he told me about Reaper and I was like, okay. And I downloaded it. It's it's free to download. You're supposed to pay after like 60 days or something. But I love Reaper just because it does everything that used to drive me crazy about Audacity. Reaper is non-destructive editing. So if I'm editing something and I realize four minutes back, oh, you know what? I kind of needed that sound bite. In Audacity, I'd have to like undo all the 27 things I just did where Reaper, I just go to the where I cut, slide it back to the left, and there's that audio I cut away. It's just there. And that saves me so much time because like I just, I, I edit my thing and I, I edit at 1.75 speed when I'm doing it. So it sounds like chipmunks to me and being able to just go back and go, oh, you know, what? I need to slide that back and left. And it, it's always just there. And like the hotkeys, like the so same thing, the ripple, the ripple cut thing. I have, I have two hotkeys. I have Z is my uh, ripple cut. And then I have E for my, what I did for extent. So if I need to add space, because on flight risk, I send out audio for voice actors to re-record lines and stuff. So 
I talk faster than some people. So I send someone a 20 second line of dialogue they send back and it's 35 seconds. And now it doesn't fit. And I just slot, use hit E and it sends out those 15 seconds I need and I drop it in. I don't have to move 27 tracks around. It's just to me, it was really, it was, I won't lie. The learning curve is very hard on it. It's, if you're coming from Audacity, it's like learning a whole new language. But now that I'm there, I could never really go back. And I just love how easy the hotkeys are. Again, another thing that I do a lot is doing the voice modulations and things like that for like radio sounds and that. And with Audacity, I know like I've seen like Adam's giving us stuff and even um, Billy from Fandible is like, here's the thing I use. And it's like, here are these six steps I have to do to get the, the droid sound effect. And that's cool. On Reaper, I can program that in, and that's one button push for me now. And I don't have to do six steps every time I need to have a droid voice or a Mandalorian voice or something to come out. And it just, to me, once you learn it, it streamlines everything so much. That's why if you're ever on any of the discords I'm on, I'm always preaching about how great Reaper is. And the rest of us use Audacity. Yeah, I, yes. I tried Reaper. I tried Reaper. I've tried Reaper four times, and I just cannot get my head into it. I just, I just don't understand it. And I can't get my head around it. And I don't have time for that learning curve, especially um, at the moment where I'm once again a bit on the back foot with my editing buffer. I don't have time to sit there and learn an entirely new way of editing when I know how to do what I need to do in Audacity. That said, if you're starting off from scratch and you've got that luxury of time, might well be a good place to start. I, I just, I can't get my head into it though. I just don't understand it. It's the same with me. I've tried it uh, a couple of times and, and it just didn't didn't work for me. It's I tough. could probably wrap my head around Audition. As a designer, I'm pretty knowledgeable about Adobe products, but Audacity hasn't really done me wrong yet. It's been pretty intuitive. And as I keep using it, I keep learning new things that simplify and streamline my editing process. Yeah, I don't have much more to say it than that. Than that. It's a great free program that does the job if you need, need the job done. I don't think it has a huge learning curve. There are a lot of words in the various things that would probably make no sense to somebody just looking at it, but there are so many. It's been around so long. There are so many YouTube tutorials, other online tutorials that it's pretty simple to get into it pretty quickly. But it is quite hungry in terms of memory. And I think that's why you had the problem, Dwayne. That is the downside, I think, to it being a free program uh, and having been around so long is it's not very optimized mm, for, mm -hmm. for speed. Um, I know certainly on my older laptop, it would take a while to export tracks. That can be a turn off as well if you don't have that time. But if you do and you can go, right, export, I'll come back to you in 10 minutes while I make myself a brew and, you know, <laughs> go and sort out, you know, pop to the bathroom, sort out whatever. Then, then it's not so bad, but it, it is a bit hungry for power. I just did a memory upgrade for uh, design reasons and didn't even think about how it would affect Audacity, and now things just go so yeah. fast. That's the thing about having a video editing background is I, I'm spoiled in when moving to audio because video is so yeah. processor and, and RAM heavy and, and just all of that, when you do, particularly when you're doing 4K, when you're doing raw video, things like that. And so stepping into the audio world was like, there wasn't a moment where I really had to like wait through things. And, and so for that same process, I've never really had to judge what editing program I'm going to use. I just fell into the thing that I happen to have because I, I have a machine that can handle it. I had didn't have to consider some of the other things that are out there because there, there's ways to edit. I 
can't think of them off the top of my head now that I brought it up, of course, uh, but there's web tools and things like that. Uh, you know, I use Anchor to host and they will let you record on a phone and edit your podcast on your phone, that kind of thing. Like it doesn't have to get overtly complicated. Uh, the, the more complication you can add into it, the more you can handle the, the better I think your podcast ultimately sounds, but it can be a relatively simple thing to jump into and just do. Yeah, I also, obviously, Audacity, that's just where I started. And having only done it for a few months, it's just, you know, trying to pick up something else. I kind of want to try out Reaper. The idea of being able to click one button to do, you know, your compressor and your everything else all at once uh, yeah. to change a voice or, you know, to add distortion. That sounds awesome because you, you'll go through a, a line of dialogue and you have to you have to go in and you have to hit okay I want to do distortion and then echo and I want to make this sound like a droid's voice but I have to like skip back and forth and going between characters or something and you have to sort of wait till you get to the next spot and then redo those same seven mouse clicks you know again and then you go to the next spot so having hotkeys that that sounds incredibly tempting, hmm. uh, for sure. You converted another one. I love it. That, that was the reason why I, I've given it four tries, because I, I'm like, oh, it'd be so, so lovely just to be able to press one button and do all of this audio processing. But oh, I just can't understand it. Next time, Gadget. Next time. <laughs> How long would you say? I'm going to start with Adam, because I know you've got an answer right off the top of your head. How long do you think it takes to edit an episode? For me to edit about an hour's worth of play down to about a 45 minute episode takes me around 16 hours. <laughs> Dwayne. Ow, that hurts my heart. Uh, Dwayne just had a heart, heart attack. <laughs> I I can't edit in real time and I can't edit at 1.75 speed. My brain just doesn't work like that. And I I am a very picky and tight editor compared to others as well. I really try to get rid of ums and ahs and breaths and mouth noises and that sort of stuff a lot more than than some other editors do because that's just how how I edit. That's just that's my mm -hmm. style. And I'm aware that adds a considerable amount of time on. I also have found that it can vary depending on who's running and who's playing. I think because I also edit when I'm GMing, I always when I find it a very draining to run and record sometimes because I'm wearing a lot of hats when I do it. I'm wearing my my GM hat. I'm wearing my as an editor. I need to make sure that what I'm saying is easy for me to then edit down the line. I need to keep an ear on what the listeners will hear to make sure that what I'm saying works for that. And other GMs that don't do quite so much editing might not be coming at it from the same approach. It's, but yeah, anything between 12 and 16 hours an episode is what it takes me. God, God bless you, Adam. God bless you. <laughs> Anyone else know how, how much time it takes to edit, edit an episode? Yeah, it's it's about that, uh, cl close to that for, for me. I'll sit down on Mondays if it's not the day that we release and I get off early that day because I go into work early and I'll sit down for six hours or so and I'll just knock out. Usually I give myself some time off after I release an episode. I don't do any editing and then I'll come back and I'll do like a week's worth of, of editing, like ready to go for the next one. And yeah, I start off and do six hours on Monday and then throughout the week after work, I'll come home and before my wife comes home from work, I'll knock out two hours here and there. And then I go 
back in on Monday and I'll add in sound effects if I'm feeling chipper. If I feel <laughs> drained, I'll just I'll just get everything together and, and put it out. But yeah, it ends up being yeah about 12 hours. I, I also am incredibly picky and I don't remove all the uhs and ums. But when I'm when you're trying to create too, that's the other thing about being when you're GMing and editing and you're trying to create, you're trying to create a like a, a phrase, you sometimes wind up with partial sentences and you have to kind of find ways to put them together that sounds right. Yeah. Uh, if I put like a raw audio, raw audio of an episode beside a finished one, the, the raw audio would just make your head hurt because there's so much <laughs> in, in and out and like wait, they just broke character and then they came back in and like, what? what's happening? So you have to try and figure things out. My players also like to, to jump around in time. So they're like, oh, I should have said this back here. Can we go and do this little mini dialogue? <laughs> and can yeah. you put it back? I'm like, sure, why not? So anyway, sorry, long way, long way around. It's a, it's a, it's, it's some time depending on uh, how wild, how wild we get. So I have, again, I, I don't want to point to my background all the time, but editing time is something that has to, to be budgeted in the career that I have. Like how long does it take to do something? And so I'm constantly tracking just mentally as I go uh, for editing the Dicey Cantina. I was always sneaking in uh, an edit, you know, uh, during my lunch break or something here and there. And so it, it was spanned out over the course of a week or so. The total kind of budget of time was between four and six hours an episode. And and part of that budgeting means that when I notice that I'm starting to track over six hours for for our half hour episodes, then it's time to start rethinking what are the things I'm being picky about in terms of time to release too. Uh, and so that's kind of six hours is kind of the mark of how long it takes to to edit an episode for me, and I get unhappy if it takes me longer. I'd say like what Adam said, I take about an hour of game session. It probably cuts down to about forty or forty five minutes of episode content. And I guess it, for me, it's different. I don't, I, I can never imagine sitting down for six hours and doing anything. So I can never do that straight. <laughs> I do mine in like spurts. It'd be like an hour here, 30 minutes here. Oh, I got 25 minutes real quick before, you know, dinner's cooking. So I'm going to go do 10 more minutes of audio real quick. So if I had to put it all together, it's maybe two, two and a half hours, I would say total to cut down the hour. Because again, I'm editing at one and at 1.75 speed. So it goes by pretty quick. And like Sam said, depending on how much energy and how much I'm invested into it, whether I'm going to layer in the music and the sound effects and stuff like that, it's just, yeah, I could, God, God, I, you guys say those hours, that scares the bejesus out of me. And imagine spending six, six hours on that. I couldn't do it. But uh, yeah, I just try to get it done quick. And I try like the ums and the ahs. I try to do cut a lot of that. And yeah, my players can go off on some random tangents and yeah, we'll occasionally get, Oh, you know what? I should have said this. And I, and I always say the same thing. Well, that's a problem for future Dwayne. Go ahead and say it. He'll be, he'll be mad tomorrow. So, <laughs> but I hear myself, wait, thanks past Dwayne for screwing me over now again. So, but I mean, it's, it, I mean, it's great to see that between the five of us, there's like such a, a difference in how to do it. And again, it goes back. There's really no right or wrong way. You have to find the way that fits you. And yeah, yeah. if, if six, eight hours yeah. is, is how you feel it needs, do that. Like if you're like me and you're just trying to squeeze in 30 minute blocks every once in a while, two hours may be all you need. I'm probably somewhere in between you, Andrew and Adam, uh, between six and 12. Uh, I tend to edit in three to four episode chunks like one mm. session for me is three or four episodes usually mm. um so i will go in and edit the full length the whole between three and five hours of it and then try and find the right break points between 30 and 45 minutes and cut it up that way so yeah it's kind of difficult for me to figure out exactly how long per episode since i'm doing 
a pile of them at the same time. Yeah, that's how I do it. And I find that different players speed up editing. Playing with my brother, he and I are always on the same page with mm. with what's going on. And those things I can I can knock out a, a three hour session, the at least the, the base edits in a little over three hours. But uh, for somebody that I've never played with before, we're sort of learning each other as we as we go. It usually takes us a little bit takes a little bit longer. I was going to say on that point, actually, I wonder if some of the difference in times is I know when I'm recording, what I do is I record an episode that's about an hour timed and then we break for a drink or a bathroom break and then we pick up the next episode as a self-contained episode you know we go in we have a story beat that i roughly want to hit per episode and 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 i'm very strict on the times as well and part of that is because because we started playing around the same table with microphones that picked up everything i was very strict on the you're not eating while we're recording keep your (laughs) drinking to a minimum and away from the microphone you're not just living to the toilet it's an hour. We know we can manage it. Go before, go after, make yourself a brew in between spaces. Whereas I know from recording with you, Mark, and you, Duane, mm-hmm. and from listening to Dicey, am I right in thinking, Andrew, as well, that, that you guys tend to record for about two hours or so and then find your episodes based on the flow of that one long session? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so absolutely. I wonder if that's a different... Sam, how do you do it? So it depends on how long it goes. There's times where we're kind of in the flow and we haven't gotten to that. I, 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 you know, I try to write little, little end caps that sort of like lead you into the next episode. And usually it's like a, not a cliffhanger necessarily, but a little mystery that tries to like pull you along. But Mm -hmm. if it's not organically there, I'll, I'll let it, I'll let them keep going. And then sometimes it winds up being an hour and 45 minutes or so and I have to cut it in half and then take those halves and bring them down and try and find a nice break point but yeah the, uh, more recently we've just done sort of like an hour and 10 hour 15 and that gets trimmed down to uh, about 45 48 something like that so yeah it just depends on what the energy is like or if we're doing one if I know we're gonna we need to do one big one or two smaller ones it depends on where we break for it pretty much Adam, I'm just wondering, you guys play like on a like a, a big eight hour block window, like on a weekend or something? Is that how you guys do it? No, um, that's how I prefer to play when I'm not recording. Okay, and I'm not, uh, and we're in person. I I cannot play remotely for longer than five hours, uh, either GM or as a player. After that point, mm. my head shuts down. If it wasn't for the pandemic, I still wouldn't be playing remotely, apart from when I randomly turn up on American podcasts. It's <laughs> it's not how I'm wired, and I I find it very hard work especially as a gm and then wearing my editor hat as well it burns me out and now that mikey mim have got the little one as well we we can't do that so we have now we used to try for three episodes in fairness yeah it probably would be about six hours of play for three hours but that's because we're all mates so we'd just talk nonsense beforehand we'd have long <laughs> tea breaks we'd t- and then because we'd record at mikey and mim's house because they were the only ones at the table big enough for all the equipment I'd, I'd go around there for like noon. I'd spend 45 minutes setting up all the microphones and setting everything up and doing a mic test with Mikey and Mim. And then after we finished play, while Ed and Ross were off being Ed and Ross in the other room, I would then be... In fact, I'd send everyone out so I could shut down because I, I, had, a, I had a routine for doing it. Now we tend to start the call about noon, start play about half 12-ish, play for an hour, break come back half uh, 20 minutes later play for an hour break and that's what we do that's our that's our day and that's about what we can manage okay yeah because for us in flight risk we have the whole we're in four different time zones 
So mm. that's why we play usually like Thursday nights was the only night that worked for all of us. So we start around like 7 p.m. my time, which is like nine, almost 10, it's 10 o'clock for Nimoy and Velvet. So we play for two hours. Now it's midnight, 10, you know, one o'clock in the morning. We're wrapping up for them. I could not admit. Yeah, that's why that's why I've always kept it around like two hours. because That's how we started doing it. I'm, just to make it easier for everybody because the East Coasters, it, it was just impossible. And then if we started earlier, like I, they're like, oh, let's start at five. I'm like, well, I'm still at work for another three hours, so I can't really play them. Yeah. So, it, yeah, time zones. If, I mean, that's to me has always been the fun thing about playing online is that I can play with all these different people. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. Two hours just works for us because there's no way four time zones we could find a six hour block because weekends didn't really work for a lot of us. With, with the other place in the first season, we would typically all gather and spend however much time making a meal and even in our our outtake sessions we were like talking about the stuff that we, we cooked or something just because it, it's a way for us all to get together and chat and sort of decompress because i mean we all work so it's it's evening for us usually um decompress from the day before getting into the story which can at times be stressful that is sort of something i would do with my regular table non-recording too is is sort of meet up and make some food together and enjoy that before the game. What sort of differences, because I know there are, there are a lot of differences between playing with a, a home group and playing with a podcast. What sort of dif- differences do you see between those two situations? Andrew's got something. I do. I'm trying to figure out how to to talk about it but the so I, I alluded earlier that it took four or five years between deciding to start a podcast and getting something out for people to listen to part of that was i also was getting into tabletop role-playing games about the same time i didn't have a, a teenage years of getting into it i found it much later on in life as an enjoyable outlet for creative storytelling and so when you're, you know, hitting 30s and and all of that, finding people who share that same passion and gathering them around and then creating a podcast uh, was challenging. And I, I don't have a huge contrast between playing in, in a group and playing for a podcast, uh, other than to say that I tried with the, the home groups and I found the performance aspect of playing for a podcast so much more enjoyable that I focused in on that as something that is really what I wanted to do hobby wise. The gathering everybody around and playing for a long time was something we tried to do to start. And I just, for me, I've got two little ones and I could never find any time that matched anybody. But this, the pandemic, the playing with other uh, podcasters has been the, the most enjoyable thing for me. And so finding that kind of community that supports you in doing the thing that you want to do is really important for you to keep going on. And I would go on and on about how great it is that uh, to have a community like this one of podcasters who enjoy playing the same game that I enjoy playing and telling those same kind of stories i don't think that answers your question at all but it was the thing i wanted to touch on so yeah our our group it's one and the same i i also was uh quite old before i found tabletop rpgs obviously 17 18 19 i was playing early elder scrolls and really getting deep into like these huge worlds that had all this lore and it wasn't until i was about 31 or so that friends invited me over to the house folks I'd known for a couple of years and they sat down and we started playing D and D and I was like, this is a blast. You can just like play act and improv and all this other stuff. And it was just a joy. And it ended up being every Tuesday night there would be, we'd drink and then we'd play, usually it'd be a D and D and then we'd follow up with some board and card games. And so those same six people or so 
we just kind of, you know, grew together as friends bound around games and making games. And then the more I, I wanted to go get back into doing with the release of uh, Mandalorian last year, I wanted to get back into doing a Star Wars RPG because I'd done it a few years before that. So I started listening to podcasts thinking that just on my drive to work, I could through osmosis pick up, you know, how, how the rules worked again without having to get back into the the thick tomes, which are these these books and started off with heroes and, and force majeure and um, Coruscant nights and started picking up all these other things. I'm like, you know what? This would be a lot of fun. Like we, <laughs> we have some times where we're really funny together and it just sort of grew from there. Boy, I went off topic, but anyway, the point is, yeah, it's the same group. It's the same people that I've known all this time. Now for future endeavors, I, there's another podcast we're all kind of planning on. I do want to draw in people f- that I, I've started to meet in this community from all walks of life and whatever, and and just you know get some new and interesting takes on characters. But yeah, just goofing. I mean, that's pretty much our entire recipe is just just goof on it, you know. So. Uh. <laughs> Random. I'm curious to derail the entire conversation just really quickly. How many of us are planning additional podcasts to the ones that we currently run? Guilty. Um, yeah. yep. oh, I, Guilty. I'm writing an audio drama. It's not an actual. It's not an actual place. An audio drama I'm working on. But yeah, yeah. It's always because you know, it's, it's never enough. Like you get that creative itch scratch, and like I want more now. Right. Yeah, these, these other yeah. ideas. Yeah. But for me, it's I've never. This is not weird. Every session that I've ever played in other than maybe for like three or four sessions in my life has been recorded and released as a podcast. I've never had a home group. I've never played really with people until I started flight risk. I played like some palladium Ninja turtle game when I was in like sixth grade a little bit. And then I played like two sessions of a D and D group in like near my house with some people I met online and that kind of just fell apart. And then I didn't play for years. I said, this is like my first real time playing any type of tabletop RPG. I've never GM'd before. And I was listening to like the show Sam mentioned. I'm like, this just sounds like fun. I want to play this game. So I tried, I joined this little discord thing. I met some people. Oh, we're going to play. And then the guy who was going to be the GM left. I'm like, screw it. I'll do it. Let's record it. And that's it. And it's like, it never crossed my mind not to not record the game. I'm like, why not put it out there? That's what, that's what got me into it. I want to share that with other people. So yeah, every game I've played, I think ninety five percent of my tabletop role playing experience is online somewhere for you to listen to. So I think I must be the odd one out here then, um, <laughs> or at least one of the odd ones out because I no, you're the odd one out. Yeah, because <laughs> I well I I've been playing role playing games since I was about six, starting off with Fighting Fantasy and Lone Wolf, and then moving into the Fighting Fantasy actual proper role playing one rather than just the choose your own adventures books. And one of my, well, my oldest and one of my best mates, his brothers are older and had started playing D&D. And I got into D&D about eight. So I've been playing and running for about 30 years or so, nearly all of which has been with various home groups, which is, is where I know Mikey from. We we LARP together and then we play D&D together. I run a club going back 20 odd years now, which is where I met ed and a couple of other people that i still play with outside the show so aside from like force majeure is the only role-playing experience i've ever had that has been recorded before i then started popping on various arcs for for other people and i find a real contrast between a table you know a home game and and a recorded game 
And a lot of that, I think, comes back to what I was saying about having to wear so many hats. I don't know if I would have the same amount of pressure and performance anxiety if I wasn't also the primary editor. And even when I'm guesting on other people's shows, I'm still playing that not as as a player. I'm playing that as an editor because I want to be invited back, uh, among other things. <laughs> but I know like... If I go onto a show and I just go completely hog wild, apart from flight risk, in which you know I apologise to when I, I I lost it on that one, I just went crazy. It was but with a lot of shows. I I can't turn that bit of my brain off. That is, this is being recorded. You need to be aware of what you're doing and what you're saying. You need to make sure that whatever you do, you do in the most entertaining way possible for the listeners. It's not just for you having fun around a table. Mm-hmm. My my home games tend to the wacky generally they they are far more freeform and far less structured and far more random there's a lot more tangenting like in a, again i think because i'm used to playing home games and traditionally we just play for 9 10 11 12 hours we get everyone around on a on a saturday at noon we'd start play at 2 we'd run till midnight 2 in the morning so if you wanted to go off on a half hour to an hour tangent about films, it didn't matter because you, you just get back at the narrative. If you wanted to break for an hour for tea, you know, get a takeaway in, put a, put some episodes or something or else on and just chat while you're doing that, it didn't matter. You could just jump back into it. Whereas when you're recording, I, I, I don't know, I always feel like I have to be on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another reason why I can't play for too long because it's – it burns you it out. It wears you out. Yeah. yeah it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. I'm ready to take a nap after every <laughs> game I run. Yeah. And weirdly, I, I found that's carried over now, even with my home games that I'm playing remotely. My head is going, you're playing remotely. This could be being recorded. Focus up. You can't <laughs> shut it off. <laughs> so my whole RPG experience started uh, in my late 20s with listening to Dice for Brains, which had me learning the rules through osmosis yeah and that one is a great example of of everything really the they stay in character so well and yeah if anybody is thinking about starting their own actual play and hasn't listened to dicer brains i recommend it i try to listen to a lot of actual plays and the ones that don't grab me are the ones that sound like they're more like somebody's home game where they do go off on those tangents and I, I think that is, if that's happening in your game that you're looking at recording, that's a lot of work for, for editing. Um, I think your players tend to need more buy-in to the whole world and staying in the world and staying in their characters and not going off about some like actual pop culture thing or whatever yeah. to make a, a good actual play that people will really be into and want to listen to. And I was going to segue that into something, but I actually don't remember what that was. Well, I'm going to come back in here very quickly, if I may. Yeah. <laughs> on, on the subject of learning rules by osmosis and dice of brains and how bloody great dice of brains is. So yeah. the reason that Force Majeure exists at all is because of dice of brains and redemption. I was, at the time, I was mad into fate, the system, and just couldn't get my head around it. I would played a lot of Pathfinder and I'd gotten so fed up of that level of crunch and system mastery. I, I rebelled and went like wildly freeform and through trying to find out how to play fate, I found not another tavern, which is their fate accelerated or it was at the time. It's now got some of the mm-hmm. Star Wars stuff in as well. And from that, I found dice for brains. And then I got Mikey and Mim 
into listening to Dice of Brains. And then I got listening to Redemption from their crossover. And it was during a board, because um, we came about because me and Mikey and Mim and Ed and Ross used to go around and play board games every Sunday at Mikey and Mim's. And I was so waxing wildly lyrical about how great Dice of Brains is. And I was like, I reckon we could do that. I reckon we could do that. We're funny. It can't be that difficult. It's cracking. And that's how our group formed. And it's it's because we learned how to play through Dice of Brains. That's how we got into the system. And that's that that's more than anything else, that gave me the push to start Force Majeure. If it wouldn't have been for Dice of Brains, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Same. I wouldn't even know the RPG existed. Yeah. So on um, playing for a podcast, we've got some questions from some people on the Force Majeure and Nightcast discords. One of them was about maintaining screen time for players. How do we, A, keep a game flowing, keep the story going, and B, make sure all of our players are getting enough screen time or at least getting a satisfying amount of story geared towards them? And I want to ask all of you first because I only play with one player. So that tends to be pretty different. You all have parties. I I found that once I had a an NPC that was kind of with the group as they're on their journey, I it was much easier to steer them towards sort of moving forward a little bit. Or, or essentially, if someone wasn't doing as much talking, I would use that character to bring them in more mm. organically. But there are other times where I'm like, well, what does that sound like in character? You're having this thing. What does it sound like? And once I did that, if one person is more focused on, let's say, like one, one kind of thing, like they just want to be the character, you, you, you can draw them in by highlighting that for a moment and sort of, sort of drawing them in naturally. And then every now and then, pieces that get edited out, but you're essentially saying, you know, uh, so what do you think? What do you think? And it's more of like, I like the organic approach better because you can you don't have to do as much sort of you don't have to sort of do like an editing tango. You can sort of uh, you know get them in in a in a more natural way. But yeah, there are times, especially with uh, with Ian, with the player who plays Vickers, where there's a stretch where like 14 minutes where he doesn't say anything, and I'm like, okay, all right, come on, come on, you know, I like, try to like encourage him. The organic approach is my my favorite. Yeah, and sometimes when you're trying to encourage a player to to step up, they just don't want to. At the yeah. moment, they don't mm-hmm. have anything. Because I think that's you've got to sometimes be aware that there are times when that character would not get involved in this situation. So what you need to do is make sure that coming up within the next scene or two is a situation where they will. So you've got to have an eye to the flow of the story and making sure that the like waves. The next wave needs to make sure it raises this character just for a bit into the spotlight and then back down again and then the next character and then the next character. And sometimes you'll be lucky where you get a couple of people that bounce off each other really, really well and they don't need to have anything specific. You can just throw a scenario and they will have a great bit of back and forth. Even if they're not showing off their character's skills mechanically, they're getting that screen time because they're having that conversation, that discussion. But yeah, it's then trying to encourage some of the more reticent players that, no, this is the point that that we need to focus the camera on you. What are you doing here? What do you feel? What's going on? And sometimes you might have to get a bit creative with your editing around that. 
it might be that they they come back to you later on and go, actually, I, I, I wish I could have done this at that point in time. All right, we'll do it. Like Dwayne was saying sometimes about um, when they'll say something and you just have to then fix it in post. Mm-hmm. But that, that, I suppose, is mark of, of editing experience as well. You get an ear for when you, you, can, you can shuffle conversations and scenes around to make them flow a little bit more organically and, and make sure that everyone gets that bit of screen time. But yeah, just trying to pick out that character beat for each character and just trying to get a, a moment of that being the focus of the story. Yeah, I think not for always me, easy. You have you have to like look at the players that you have. I like I, I run two groups at the same time, and you know not just what what their characters are specifically like geared or designed for, but you also have to know what your players are comfortable doing. So you know, okay, when I'm because I don't like, I'm not going to script an episode because if you listen to Flight Risk, we go all over the place. So scripting is useless. But I'm like, okay, I want to have like a scene in my mind that where anarchy is going to be like, that they should excel at the scene or there should be a scene for Doric. And sometimes my anarchy scene will become a bail scene all of a sudden. I'm like, I didn't expect that and it'll happen. But you kind of like have that, okay, I want to make sure that, oh, you know, Kyle likes to like charm people and be witty and that kind of stuff. So I want to give them a gruff person to talk to. I'm going to have that person, maybe not say just to have that card ready to drop it. Oh, there's that person he can talk to and have it ready to go. And like you said, have it organic where it's like, okay, Bale's been talking for like five minutes to this person. I'm going to have someone interrupt with something that I know is going to grab Doric's attention and hopefully he'll jump at it. Now, if he doesn't, you can't force him. You can't get, Hey, Nimoy, I need you to talk more. <laughs> you can't, I mean, you could do that maybe off camera or whatever, but in the moment, sometimes you have to think of, whether the character may not interact, but also your players. There are days where like you can just tell on your player, like they're there and they're there maybe because it's their obligation to the group and they're going through the motion. So I'm not going to push someone to try to have this big RP scene if they're mentally checked out because of real life stuff. So you gotta, you gotta, gotta yeah. gauge it by seeing if they really want to be there and not just they're checking in because you know, they're doing it because you're, they're your friend. Yeah. Very, very fair point that Dwayne. Very, very fair point. I think for Dicey, the, the components in terms of I've, I've never like sat down and tried to ensure that someone uh, that, that everyone gets equal uh, screen time or, or that uh, I want everybody who comes to play for the show to to be highlighted and to have a good time. And that's kind of more where I draw the distinction is making sure that everybody's having fun, because that's one of the goals I sat down for the podcast when I started was that. I wanted to make these types of games more accessible because I loved that I found it later on in life. But like at any point, like these these things are fun to do. So the core highlight that we're after is to show the fun that's happening. But the collaborative storytelling element that I focus in on for the show is highlighted by I tend to have a questionnaire. Uh, you know, I try to keep it not being a, a novel, but you know, having seven or eight questions to do background for characters that get to come on and, and doing kind of the rotating cast that we've been leaning towards now has been one where it's it's relatively easy to focus in on a couple of key components that a player wants to bring to a character and to, to a story to experience and giving that anthology approach lets me say that the overarching story, I, I stole all this from Mark for Coruscant <laughs> Nights and all of that is, is the, the location right and so that's what keeps things consistent but we can explore every avenue of different stories and different characters as they come up and so doing those shorter runs with groups of people is just i'm i'm not a a vibrant personality myself I, i'm more introverted and so i find that i enable my players by asking 
characters that I would ask uh, in directing a video or something along those lines of like, so what what are you doing right now? What you know, wh- what's your character up to? And then letting them sort through that, you know, and if they don't have an answer initially, the other thing that I learned was to not be afraid of, of dead air. I'm going to cut it all out anyway. And yeah. so having a moment to think, you know, allows that creativity in the moment to kind of let things grow and then letting the players and the party play off each other usually tends to, to bring out the story. I just have a couple of bullet points that I throw at them in terms of this is how we're going to get from A to, to B to C, and then that'll be the end of the story. But uh, the, the rest of it is I've been fortunate enough to invite podcasters to, to come and play for me more than anything, and their experience, that they, their table experience helps kind of drive all of that. So I kind of take that organic approach, but I've enabled myself to make it look effortless when it's really everybody else doing it for me. Mm. Not being afraid of dead air is an excellent point there, actually. Yeah. An excellent, excellent point. And something that you can, I think it's something you can lose if you're only used to playing with a home group. Because in a home group, that that dead air, someone might be quipping or it might it might provoke the tangent. But yeah, when you're recording, just being able to go, take as long as you need. I can edit this out. Just get it fixed. That is an absolutely cracking piece of advice, that. When I played on Flight Risk... I remember finishing our first session and feeling like, is this good? Am I doing good? <laughs> and I reached out to Dwayne and, and said, hey, how was that? Do you, do you have any advice for playing with these players? Was the session good? For us, the three of us who are doing shows with multiple players, new players every week, how do you be the GM that a player can come to, even if they've never played with you before, and ask you questions and advice this is kind of i feel like this is a tough question i don't know how to answer this question for me what i i try to like because with us we have a guest star who comes in every arc for us now so we have our core four players and we usually have two sometimes three new people come in every every arc so i have to get these new people to slide into our already established dynamic and i just try to talk to people way in advance like i've we're, I've already started talking to the people and introducing the players to each other for games we're not going to play until April. So they're like part of our Discord. We set up small, like I try to set up Discord chats with just that group, those three players and me, and start telling them, hey, this is the story I'm thinking about. This is the energy I'm, I'm kind of going for. Is this what you guys, what do you guys want? Just so they can start talking to each other, even if it's just on Discord, because you can't just turn the, turn the cameras on and all of a sudden everyone's on and they've never talked to each other. Because then you're going to get that awkwardness where if we have that, that chat, like, okay, you kind of start to learn each other's humor, the way you talk and that kind of stuff. So that definitely, definitely helps. And I always try to talk to my players before and make sure they know that it's like, it sounds like you're telling your kids and you have family over. It's like, Hey, these people are coming over. Let's, <laughs> let's make them feel comfortable. Let them give them more time to talk. Maybe let them shine a little bit and let the, their character take the lead, at least at the beginning. So they feel comfortable. And then we can get back to our regular dynamic because it's, it's gotta be hard coming onto someone else's show and trying to slide in. Like for us, it's like you're, you're coming in for four sessions into this world that's been going on for two years. It's it's daunting. So you try to make them feel like, hey, you're here. You're kind of like the, the guest star on the show and you let them have the spotlight at least a little while. Do you have any thoughts on it, Andrew? I'm constantly revising my short pitch. So the core piece of advice that I got why I finally ended up releasing things was I was talking around with my wife and and taking advice from around me on like what to do. And, and the first thing that kicked us off was the fact of don't be afraid to fail. And that 
every moment that you have is an opportunity to build something new. And so as a part of that, I'm, I constantly feel like I'm failing at uh, bringing the players to the table with the, the knowledge that they want to have, but at the same time, not trying to overwhelm people who have varying levels of interest of the thing that we're trying to accomplish. You know, the, the goal is to have fun. And so I'm constantly revising my short elevator pitch for what the world is, what Druckenwell is, what's going on, and and why it's important, so that they can incorporate that into their characters. But the you know an ultimate goal of the podcast that or, or, that I have is just again making things accessible. And so uh, for me, I try and break out of kind of my introverted shell of making sure that I'm having conversations and touch points with people before we play and things like that. And and even just asking, not being afraid to ask even those tougher questions, like this is going to be a, a scary episode. This is our Halloween thing. Are you guys okay with jump scares? Are you okay with gore? You know, and, and, and I find that that opens up that dialogue of just letting the people who have issues or, or different comfort levels for things come in and play for you at a level that they that they're comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I'm just using the word comfortable too much, but just checking in with them, you know, realizing that you're playing with people uh, who want to play a character, but they're people themselves. They have their own lives and things like that. And so I don't, I think I'm way off in the weeds, but that's good. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Another one that comes from discord. We've already heard from Andrew with his, his survey to sort of get care, get players into character, get them introduced to the world. Does anybody else have any before play habits that they do before play checklists, anything like that? And does anybody use, I know there are a lot of them out there, player safety tools to make sure everybody's on the same page about what they're doing and can like raise a hand if, if things get uncomfortable for them? Well, with, with Starbirds, I've known these people for so long that we all know We've pushed each other's boundaries, you know, over a few brews now and then. So we know what the what the general limits are. But when I'm playing, I've been doing a little playing with uh, Greasy Panda Gaming and everything. They have this really great little uh, checklist, basically, where they send them out to everyone. And it's you can sort of rate uh, what your level of comfort with, is with uh, all these different topics. And it's a great way to make sure that you're not uh, pushing anyone's buttons or you're you're, you're, you're remaining in a space where everyone feels completely free and, and, and comfortable. Yeah. No, no one is left feeling like that really, that just kind of dug under my skin, you know, and sort of like that, that awful feeling. It's, it's really about kindness. I really liked it too, because I had never thought about it that way before, but yeah, obviously moving forward, I think it's a phenomenal tool. It's about like, uh, about like 25 questions Mm -hmm. or so that kind of gauge your response. Um, recording the other place we had our our purple card rule where we all had a a little purple card that we could hold up and uh not even say anything but like that is the signal that we need to either stop because somebody has to go to the bathroom or stop because we don't like where this is going and when that card came up it would be we would either uh just pause for a second or uh discuss or just change directions completely i think it's kind of important to have uh have that sort of system in place i've run games where i have not used any sort of system like that and i kind of wish i had those are the uh coruscant knights lost episodes we'll see if they come out probably not (laughs) 
Um, for flight risk, I usually have the people who are coming on to, for an arc, like Mark, you did. I send out that little questionnaire yeah. where you get to introduce yourself. And that way, me and the players get to know you. And I, I release it to the audience, too. So this new voice, they recognize it. And I think it makes the audience more comfortable. The player themselves, they're getting introduced easier. easier. But yeah, we do talk. We try to have a session zero where we talk about all the, the like there's different terms, the X cards or whatever you, you call mm -hmm. for it, because you, you have to do that because you don't want to have a situation where someone is really uncomfortable. And I've done it like even with my my players that I've been playing with for a couple of years. I'm like, I know the scenes coming up and I'm like, hey, is anyone like, you know, because our show is kind of crime related. I'm like, is anyone OK with implied violence towards children? That was something that, you know, we had someone threatening to kill someone's children on our show. I'm like, is anyone uncomfortable with that? No one's going to actually be hurt, but just the idea of someone threatening a kid. And I want to make sure because like in my head, I'm like, it's, it's, a, it's a fantasy world, a threat toward a kid who's not even real. Why would that bother anybody? But there could be someone with personal trauma where that could bother them. And you, you can't just assume that everyone is like you and they're going to be OK with it. So, yeah, you just like the list that Sam has. I would love if you want to send that over. I would love to see that list that they have because that sounds something very, very useful because it's good because some people are going to be uncomfortable talking about it. And then you're, you can almost see it in someone's face when you're getting somewhere and you can see the tension or the color leaving from their cheeks. You're like, oh, they're getting uncomfortable and you don't know what it is. And it just kind of panics everybody. And you got to have that conversation beforehand because it's in the in the root of what we're doing. We just want to have fun. And I don't want to have someone sitting there. If I'm playing this game and I just watch Adam be uncomfortable for an hour and a half, what was the fun for him there? It's like, that's not what we're here for. So, yeah, you have to talk about this stuff and you just be open with it. And you have to be okay with other people's perspectives because like if someone would have had a problem with that scene i would have rewrote it and not like you don't fight someone on whatever their issue is that's the biggest thing you can't tell them why they're wrong like oh you have to get over this that's the worst thing you could ever do it goes hand in hand with what we were saying earlier about being the gm that your players can come and talk to yeah we don't in force majeure particularly mostly because we've gamed together for a long period of time with the exception of ross who has played with Ed before and has played, I think, with Mikey Mim before, but hadn't played with me before when, when we actually started Force Majeure. When we started, the the X card and the consent and gaming checklist and the safety tools was not something mm -hmm. I'd ever encountered. And I think that came from having grown up in pretty close-knit home groups with the same group of friends, really, or the same extended group of friends. It was never really something that, that we'd ever encountered. There have been one or two moments on the show which have have caused discomfort and we've had conversations, the people affected have had conversations around that kind of outside the show. And certainly when I came to start ramping up for Cold Fire Chapter 3, which we just started recording, I had a lengthy one-to-one -one with every player and part of that discussion was uh, what was the, the lines and veils what are you comfortable with? What do you not want me to go anywhere near? What are you not comfortable with? What are you happy with? You know, just what do I need to avoid more than anything else to make sure that that doesn't affect anybody? I, yeah, it's something that I, I need to get better at. And it's something I know I need to get better at in my home games as well as my, my recorded stuff. But it was something that came very late and it's an entrenched habit that I'm trying to get out of that assumption that just because you've played with someone for a long time, you know what their buttons are because sometimes mm -hmm. you don't. I definitely think that if you're starting a show, even if you do know people really, really well and have for years, it can't hurt to start with that as a foundation and build on from that. And I, if I was starting Force Majeure now, 
that was the first thing I would do. That and a good detailed session zero, which again is a great concept that was not even on my radar when I started playing. I only found out about that about two years ago. And that's through listening to a lot of other yeah. actual plays. Yeah. <laughs> these things come up like, oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> uh, along the lines of a session zero, I think if you're starting something new, having a first session that is a test session is, is super helpful. I know with, with Coruscant mm. Nights, I accidentally had test sessions because our games got interrupted by hailstorms and other, other uh, acts of nature. So I got to hear what was happening here the dice rolling reverberating through my microphone realized that I needed some other setup to make things work. Yeah. Session zeros and, and do a test before you, before you start. Yes. Yeah. With the session yeah. zero, I, I would want to add, like we try to do on flight risk is we do a check-in probably almost every session before we start, just ask how everyone's doing. Is there anything going on? Yeah. Anything going on? Because Someone could be having a tough time this week. There could be something personally going on that something that wasn't an X card for them six months ago when you had the conversation is now this thing they don't want to deal with. And you're, you by accident just brought up this thing they don't want to go on. So it's always good either every session or every other. Just, just check in with your players because like I said, we've had times where a player just starts talking and you can see it in their face where they're not ready to game. They can't play it. We'll just cancel the session because like, you know what? You need mental health more than anything than playing a, a, a fantasy game with yeah. me right now. You go get a cup of tea, take a nap or whatever. We'll play next week and constantly checking in with your players either before the session or I mean, come on, we all have discord and cell phones. Mm -hmm. so you can check with your players anytime just because you're people outside the game and you want to make sure they're OK, because there's so much going on in the world right now, specifically that people's mental health and their mental endurance is at vapors most days. So you just got to be a, a person and check in with them as often as you can. I think with that too, like I, I'm always at a crunch for time when it comes time to record things and then time to edit them and get things done on that avenue. And so like my attention to my players and my upcoming players is something that is always kind of lacking the time to do so properly, at least like how I feel about who I should be. And one of the things that that I do now, like that I haven't fully explored those ideas of uh, a purple card or X card or things like that. And I, I always am terrified that I've not spent the time to learn how to implement those into a game well enough that my players might suffer for it. But the the avenue or the angle that I've taken, at least uh, as kind of a monicum uh, of that effort is being vulnerable myself before, you know, right before we get to recording, right before us, as Dwayne's talking about, like checking in is putting it out there of not just asking uh, my players how they are, but just being open with like, this is what's going on in my life right now. And this is exactly how I'm feeling to kind of help bridge that gap too, because I, I'm constantly talking to a bunch of strangers uh, because I'm inviting new yeah. people I haven't met before or had an opportunity to really have a long conversation with. And just saying those simple words of like, hey, this is where I'm at. This is this is how I'm perceiving what's going on in the world right now or anything along those lines can help open that door too of just letting someone feel comfortable being able to, to speak up or you kind of can gauge their reaction to of how guarded that particular topic might be able to make them or something like that. And you can go down a different avenue. So I feel like we're having an important conversation here. I've got some like pretty simple questions that we can answer quickly because I think we're coming up on an hour and a half and there's one last like important topic that we should probably talk about. Yeah. First quick one. 
how do you deal with players that don't have any sort of ownership over the podcast? It's kind of how we're built. I'll jump in just because it's a quick, simple answer is that that that's my assumption. You know, I, I, being the introvert that I, yeah, being, being the introvert that I am, it's it. I'm assuming that I'm doing this and I'm inviting other people to come and have fun and any additional promotion, any ownership that they bring is, is bonus. But the idea is come, come have fun. And then, and then it can be done. And your time commitment as a guest is extremely limited to whatever you want to put into it. Happy to have you. Yeah. I I think for me, it it sounds weird because my core four players, we've been playing for over two years together now. And I just go in with zero expectations. I don't expect them to tweet about it, mention it at all outside of the game. Like, like a funny thing I always tell people, like I've been playing with Nemo, who plays Dork on our show for two and a half years, and I have no idea what he looks like. He, do, he chooses not to turn his camera on, and that's his choice, and that's fine. And he's not, he's not on social media. He's rarely on Twitter or anything. And our interactions are primarily just the game. And that's fine because that's what he needs from me, and that's all I expect from him. And I think having that realistic expectation of your players is the big thing. You can't, unless you establish saying, hey, I'm going to edit Steve over here is social media manager. Billy over here is this. Susie's going to do this and give everyone a job. Unless you establish that from the beginning, you can't be upset as the GM and editor if your players are just there to play. You have to make sure you speak up about what you expect from them. That's why I have zero expectations. Otherwise, I'm always happy. <laughs> I think those are great answers. Yeah. What do you do with negative feedback? Or worse, what do you do with no feedback at all? I can answer this one um, as my four reviews. Can... No, um, <laughs> negative feedback. <laughs> I think this pivots on why you're doing a podcast. Mm-hmm. Are you doing a podcast because you want to make money and be monetized and get 400,000 downloads and be a big name in the podcasting scene, in which case you need to be doing Dungeons and Dragons. No other system (laughs) is going to get that feedback unless you're the very first one to do it and you're getting a a foot in the door with a big corporate sponsor. I mean, I'm thinking like the Glass Cannon podcast is massive and they're Mm. Pathfinder. And a lot of that is because they, they were, they they got lucky but if you're coming into because that's what you want to do then you probably need to look at dungeons and dragons because that's that's where the listeners Mm -hmm. are really that's where the big market is if you're coming in because you want everyone to love you then you're setting yourself up for a fall because you cannot please everybody all of the time and there are going to be some people that just don't like what you do okay that's fair and i think you've got to Try not to take it personally, even though it is exceedingly personal, because it's your story. It's it's your show that you're putting out there for the world to hear. And if someone comes back and goes, no, it's Bobbins, that hurts. It definitely hurts. So you've got to brace yourself. If you don't want to run the risk of negative feedback, then you might as well not start, because you're going to get some Mm -hmm. of someone. If, however, the reason you're going into this is because what you want to do is have a laugh with your mates. And if other people like it, then so much the better. That, that's that's my approach. Uh, I'm not doing this to make money. I'm not doing this to become big and famous. I'm doing this because I have a laugh with my friends. And maybe other people will also enjoy me hearing, hearing me have a laugh with my friends. Great. And if I've got five listeners, I was happy with that. If I've got 500 listeners, I'm happy with that. I, I'm humbled, to be honest, that anybody <laughs> listens to my show and enjoys it. Much less invites me on to talk about it, like I know what I <laughs> like, like I know what I'm doing, you know, as opposed to just just a mook 
who happens to be making a show with with his friends. We're just a minion group here. Right. Only collectively <laughs> we're good at this. <laughs> you have to wrap your brain around this concept of that a lot of what you do is going to feel like you're just putting it out into the void. Yeah. Because even even shows that you see like campaign or all these shows that are like huge followings, they have these massive Patreons, God bless them, all that kind of stuff. Even then their feedback from their fans is really like they always say it's around like 10% of people listening to actually respond. So if your show does solid and you get like 200 listeners, which is a great, beautiful number, that means you could expect maybe like two, 15, 10 people might want to actually respond to you. And then there may not, and you have to be okay with that. And you can't possibly, I don't know if, maybe you can, I don't know this movie. Speaking of, you can't go into this thinking, I'm going to become famous. I'm going to become rich off of my my Star Wars podcast. Because it most likely, unless you have a celebrity of some kind to draw in millions of people, it's it's you doing it for fun. And that's to be the whole point of this. And negative feedback, I mean, unless the feedback is like, hey, your audio levels are way off or your music is like, is like too high. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can take that as constructive criticism, roll with that. But if they're like, you guys aren't funny or you tell boring stories, well then listen to something else. <laughs> I, I like the stories. <laughs> I yeah. I'd say that's a difference between constructive and negative. Someone yeah. going, your audio is a bit shonky in these first few episodes. You might need to look into leveling it a bit better. Okay. That I, I, I don't take that as negative. I take that yeah. as a right. Well, I need to fix that. That is, that is within my gift mm-hmm. to fix. I can mm-hmm. find out what's going on there. I can fix it. But yeah, the whole, you're just rubbish. Okay. Well, go Thanks. and listen to yeah. someone else then. Mm-hmm. So we talked about earlier editing time, how long it takes to edit. It also takes time to record. It also takes time to talk to people on the internet. If you want to talk to them about, uh, about your show, how do you fit podcast time into the rest of your life? It comes first. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Sam's in it for the money. He's, uh, he's going to go for the Patreon. Yeah, it, no, I, I was going to say, yeah, I, you know, uh, na- nowadays I, I hope that just for a moment or two, uh, someone is drawn into the, the, honestly, it's almost a Monty Python style look at things like, you know, life is silly and hard and terrible and, and ridiculous and, you know, it's just the the distraction, the brief distraction for a moment that gets you to think about things in a in a positive way or look at them with humor can oftentimes just help you get through each day. So my hope is that somebody comes along one day and they're listening to it and it's just, you know, it just puts a smile on their face for the day. You know, just so, very simple. I mean, if you, going into it, wanting to get money out of it is you're in the wrong you're in the wrong line of work. A really, uh, unless you're just a you have just a, a completely genius and perfect idea, and also lots of money. You kind of need the money to get going. You know, just to generate the whatever kind of ad revenue. I'm imagining. I have no idea. But when it comes to juggling the time. The, the playtime I like, for me, this is one of my biggest mental health bolsters. I find editing very relaxing because I can just step outside of, you know, the world being on fire for a couple of hours at a time and lose myself in a story, which is me and my friends mm-hmm. having fun. And I, I also find that when I'm editing, I can shut out like everything else and just focus on that. And I, I, it helps recenter myself, especially like when I'm having a bad mental health day or my insomnia is through the roof 
or I've had a rubbish day at work, you know, whereas when I was younger, I'd, I'd start on the cider. Now I go and do an hour <laughs> of editing and it just rebalances me in a far healthier way. And that's, that's why I make sure that I find the time to do it because it is a hell of an investment, but this, this is my mm-hmm. therapy. <laughs> no, I, no, I mean, this is- it is. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, the set, the sets and zeros, the X cards, all these things that make sure you're in a mental state. And yeah, this, I, I agree with Adam, this doing the podcast and doing this stuff. It's, it's like in this chaotic world, everything's going on. This little bubble on my screen, those sound waves, those are mind control. I can get them to do whatever I want. And that's, it helps you just breathe out and go, okay, everything else that's chaotic in my life, I can't control the world. I can't control what happens at my work half the time. But here, I, I can have this. And it's very relaxing. It's very freeing. On the flip side, I mean, Adam and Mark can attest that I've sent them messages where I've been having mental breaks from the stress that I feel on myself from a release in my show. Like, I can't do it. I can't keep up and all this kind of stuff. So you have to be careful. Don't be like me. Don't say you're going to release every Friday for the rest of your life because that's going to cause stress. I mean, <laughs> I've I've done a hundred and a hundred and fourteen weeks straight. I haven't missed a week, and it's there have been times where I have almost punched my computer screen because I just was I couldn't get it done or I was getting frustrated. And God bless, like we talk about the community. I mean, I talk about Mark and but everybody on the I've I've sent messages I know to everybody else. But I've had like I can't do this today. Or, I'm feeling stressed out. And I've had different GMs, different players talk me off the ledge of I've literally had my mm-hmm. mouse on the delete the show button on Simplecast because like I can't do it. I, I can't get it done. I was going to delete everything. And I've had people talk me off the ledge. So as much as it is my mental freeing, it's also this monkey on my back. So it's, it's I have an interesting relationship well, with my I show. I think uh, that brings up a good point is that people should take breaks. Yes. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. I um, am currently on the Coruscant Nights mid-season break, which is a month off, which has me with more of a backlog of episodes than I've probably ever had, which is is fantastic. I've got six episodes of the other place in, in the bag right now. So that frees up two months of, of editing for that show. Even though with that one, I feel like even though it's got 30 or so episodes, it feels a little fresher than, than Coruscant Nights. Like I, I can be a little bit more creative with that with the the way i edit that show and i don't really know where i was going but yeah take breaks no i i mean for the breaks part i've this this new arc is how i've i've taken all the advice you guys have given me and i'm and i've done like okay hey i'm gonna record five weeks with this group five weeks with this group and then i'm taking five weeks off of no recording where it's just mm-hmm. i can edit at my own pace and have that little thing because yeah th- these two years have been very up and down for me. And I, I want to get off the roller coaster. I yeah. just want to be in the happy place. Well, I think that ties into a, an important question, which I know was asked, which is the setting your release schedule and how much of a buffer mm-hmm. you want to give yourself before mm-hmm. you start. And I think that when it comes to setting your release schedule, you have to put something that is achieve- realistically achievable mm-hmm. without causing you stress we release fortnightly in force majeure because I cannot edit fast enough to release mm-hmm. weekly. We don't have enough time to record to get enough episodes in for me to release weekly. And I could not take that level of pressure. So we do fortnightly and we go. And I think a backlog of about a month to two months yeah. queued up and in the bank before you go, that gives you a lot of breathing space to keep your momentum up. And the last thing I'd say on this is, 
while it's vital to take breaks for everybody else's and and your own kind of well-being try and keep your momentum up where you can so if you can if you know that you're running an arc and your arc is going to be about 15 20 episodes worth of, of of recording try to get to that before you take the break because i i can speak from personal experience when i had to stop halfway through a season and then come back to it i found that quite difficult to get myself back up and running again and i'm finding it now in fact we we finished recording shadows of the jedi which is our season 4 a while ago and i took a through a two month break from any recording and running before starting up with uh, cold fire chronicles chapter 3 and i have found these last few sessions so hard to get back on my feet and get the pace back running but i know when i record again next sunday i'll be more in the zone and when i record a, a two sundays thereafter i'll be back up to speed so you got to be realistic with those goals and those those buffers and your release schedule and and also if you edit yourself four or five episodes before you go you'll have an idea for how long it takes you to edit those episodes so you can set that release mm-hmm. schedule more realistically you'll have that experience in your hand to know how long it takes you and once you've got the people listening if you are having a week where it's just not working listeners are surprisingly nice about you releasing late just just as a note you can release an episode late <laughs> they're under well you can start release that, all your episodes uh, late. void of no feedback yeah. to your advantage there yeah because is there already not saying anything so. <laughs> that's true there's no feedback so if no if you don't do it the lack it's not like you're gonna get negative zero negative one feedback so that's, that's how you get your negative feedback there yeah. you go all right so the last thing i want to talk about is that by creating a podcast by creating a platform for yourself i feel like you have uh some responsibility um especially in the RPG community, especially uh, with this last week and with uh, everything really since since Last Jedi with the Star Wars community to talk about social issues, uh, having marginalized voices on your show. Do you all have any ideas of how to keep your games, your table, your community from being sort of an echo chamber, from being just homogenous? I think that was one of the reasons why. So I'm constantly kind of uh, adjusting the show as I go because that early advice of don't be afraid to fail means that I'm putting out things that I don't think are at 100%. But if I get to 80%, I can still be proud of it. And that idea of having that voice and and not just becoming an echo chamber is part of an early goal. You know, I wrote out three goals that I wanted for the podcast when I got started five years ago of trying to figure out what to create. And that idea of accessibility meant that I really needed to constantly be looking at who's on the show, what are, stories are we trying to tell and stuff like that. Not from a limiting perspective, but just making sure that the invitations feel open. And so that idea of rotating the cast around and doing that anthology approach of we're going to do uh, a whole arc, a month's worth of episodes in a single recording session, and then we'll read it later, uh, just means that I have to keep my head up in terms of looking around of who's invited and making it an open space for people to come and play. You know, that one of those goals, uh, just to say it a lot, is that I want, I've got two little girls and I want them when they are, grow up, you know, they don't have to love Star Wars. They don't have to love actual play podcasts. They don't have to do any of those things that 
that I'm doing or love any of the things that I'm doing. But at the same time, when they're adults, I want them to be proud of me when, when it's all said and done, you know, cause this, this is archived out there, right? This is the Dicey Cantina will eventually not have enough time to do anything and it will fade up into obscurity. But uh, for the members of my family, the time that they sacrifice to let me do these kinds of things means that uh, I want them to be able to look back at it and say that I, I don't like Star Wars, but I, I appreciate what you did. I can be proud that, the way I conducted myself. At least uh, for me, it was always like when I started the show, I didn't, I didn't try to like cast it in such a way. And I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate that my show is kind of diverse. We have a, a, we have a transgender player. We have a non-binary player as well on my show. And I didn't know that about them when they joined the show. And it, it has made me aware of that, that I don't fall into the trope of as cliche is it's just, keep inviting white dudes on my show over and over again. And that's kind of what happens. And I try to, when we reach out to other people to make sure I'm not just reaching out to people who look like me and sound like me, because that's the easiest thing to do. And, and I, like, again, I, I rely on my players a lot because they're in different communities than I am. I don't have the same circle of friends. So I say, Hey, who would you want to play with? And they have people I would never know. And I try to make sure I include them. And even in the world I build in the show, I try not to fit into a heteronormative thing. Like the count is this huge doubt and gang boss. And he's happily married with his husband, who's a piano player and all these type of things. And I try to make sure that I don't just always slip into the automatically making all my NPCs male. I do that way more than I should. I try to avoid it. I try to go female. And if anything, I try to go non-gender with it because for me with the voice acting, that means I can send it out. I could say there's this gruff security guard and we do the thing. And then I can go find, I can get a masculine voice or a feminine voice because either can be gruff. So it gives me, it gives me the flexibility of the production side also as well. So it goes beyond not just casting our shows and the people we play with, but the world you build mm -hmm. it's Star Wars, it's space aliens. It doesn't have to be, you know, just a regular husband and wife. You can have polyamorous relationships. You can have throuples. You can do anything you want. So why not embrace all this stuff? Because there are people out there who are looking for that type of show. And I'm, a super vanilla dude. I'm, I am none of these things. And it's, it's a challenge and I try to be aware of it. And it's like my biggest mistake that I make is with the pronoun thing. And I'm say I'm 40 years old and I fall into the, I say he's and she's when I know my players use fey and fair or they and them. And it's just, my brain doesn't work that way. And if you can see all the stuff, I cut it out when I'll say, she does. I'm like, sorry, Faye does this. And I have to keep fixing it over and over again. There's thousands of seconds of me saying the wrong word, but it's just something you have to be aware of and you have to work on it because there's those people out there and they deserve to have a show they can listen to. And it just makes your world more diverse. And if anything, isn't Star Wars supposed to be diverse? Yeah, I think it, you know, it, it is tough. It's tough because you want to create a platform where anyone and everyone feels comfortable listening to it. They don't feel like it's a purposefully binary setting and i often find myself like yeah i've made that npc a guy again i did it again why you know and part of me with my the future podcast planning i do want it uh to to be very open and say look i'd love for you to play and and you know would you like to play and you know obviously my circle of friends were just people that i met at work and we all got around and it's a fairly diverse group but uh, you know, for the, my future endeavor, I want that that to be very open 
and I want the following seasons of the Starbirds to open up more. But I, I also don't want it to feel like a, a forced thing, you know, like I don't want them to feel like obligated or, hey, I'm I'm doing this because I I want you for for some reason that you you know what I mean? Uh, it, so it, it's kind of mm-hmm. a struggle in a way. You want to be a, a platform on which anyone can stand, but you don't want to be pushing people onto the platform. You know what I mean? It, it, uh, so it, it's a, you know, it's, I want to be well-balanced more than anything. You know, I want when people listen to the show for them to hear kindness. No, I mean, you, you make a great point, Sam. There's this where we want to get these voices on there and you run into the issue. Like I, like I am hyper afraid of tokenism that I'm looking for a player because right. I want a African-American female. Cause I've never had one. Then it's like, then I shouldn't be, trying to just pick someone because they're different if they happen to be that i should look for that person but if there's that fear especially again being a white guy trying to say oh hey i want a, per- a person of color or i want someone who's a gender or whatever onto my show it's like oh are you getting them because you're trying to seem like you're this thing or not and even if you're coming from a good place you have to be careful of how you're presenting it and how you're doing that you're not looking for this person because they're just this thing they happen like star wars and if they happen to be this other thing that's great but yeah, you don't get someone just because they fit a checkbox or something. It's a it's a hard, hard thing to do. And like again, you have just talk to the community. There's so many discords and things out there. You say, hey, and I've done it on different discords. Like, hey, I, I apologize if this is coming off in the wrong way because I don't know how to say this. Say, I really want to have this. And they'll tell me, oh, this is how you should ask this question. This is how you should present it. And there are tons of people who, because they see you coming from a genuine place of wanting to include, they're more than happy to help you. But if you come as this place like, well, this is going to get my show more listens, you're going to become a villain very, very quick. Yeah. I think we dealt with that really early on in one of the the lost files uh, uh, for Dicey. There was a, a character, an NPC that popped up and, and that helped kind of highlight some of the directions that I wanted to take later on because I just naturally fell into an NPC, just kind of uh, let it improv its way out. But when I got to the end of the recording of it, I was took a moment to talk with the players that I had because I was like, hey, you know, I, I, I'm a white dude. I'm, I'm a particular way. And I, I want the games to be inclusive, but at the same time, that tokenism, that idea of me wanting to make sure that the game's diverse, I don't also want to misrepresent somebody who needs representation. You know, the the concept of, of I, I need to have a particular thing in my shows highlighted the danger of also saying that, you know, I have a character who's a particular way now and, and that is representative of a community. I realized that I have my voice of who I am and I need to be open to the voices of the community being in and on the show and representing that way, as opposed to me altering who I am and representing that community the way that I think that they want to be represented. Because Star Wars is an open, diverse community. You just talk to people and hear who they are and what what they're looking for, as opposed to making those assumptions. So... Yeah, the seeking seeking first to listen is a... Yeah, it's a huge part. Being... A, a friend group and a home table that's basically now starting to self put put ourselves out there. We didn't really have quite the the pool of diverse friends that we were. We didn't we didn't go into this looking to make a show. If you know what I mean, we were we were we were already playing together and we're like let's record it. So it, it evolved kind of organically. I wanted to try and get some representation in there in the way that was available to us from the group we had, and I wanted to make sure that was appropriately respectful. 
So I did speak to my game mates to make sure I was hitting the appropriate beats and I wasn't making them into a caricature. Yeah. Because I think that's, it goes back to what you said about the tokenism and that, like, and, and trying to represent a community that you're not necessarily part of, but not doing it in a respectful fashion. And I am certainly trying to make sure that there is a lot more representation amongst my NPCs and amongst my characters now um, of, of non-binary or uh, LGBT um, and not necessarily just, you know, white human bearded male. Because that is, <laughs> that that is my kind of default yeah. starting point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, that's, you know, that's my, that's my default yeah. starting point because that's me. Yeah. Um, all right. I've got one final question for everybody. One piece of advice to a younger you about making podcasts. Don't make it perfect. Make it fun. Session zero, test episodes, <laughs> then more test episodes. <laughs> oh, and 10 seconds of silence for ambient sound. <laughs> <sighs> Take your time. There's no rush. Like we said, it's just, it's really just you putting this out into the void. So the stress you're feeling is just the stress you're putting on yourself. Relax. Yeah. I think for me, it's, you can't plan everything. I think mine would be it. Just do it. Cause the only, I think a lot of times we get like, you get like mental blocks on things. And if you just go and, and try, you, you'll find you can do 99% of the things you think you couldn't. Even if you think you your voice isn't good enough, your group isn't good enough, your connections aren't good enough, none of that matters. Just do it and have fun because in that creation process, you'll find your voice. Just uh, just give it a shot. If, you, if you're interested and you really want it, uh, just go for it. Yeah. All right. We should finish this up with a little reminder of uh, go around the table and say who we are little short pitch for your show and if you have anything else to plug i'll start at my bottom right corner this time with sam my name is sam uh, gm for starbirds podcast you can find us at starbirds pod on twitter and instagram probably more likely find us on twitter and uh, i'll also be doing some things with greasy panda gaming future that'll be released and yeah our show is it's almost exclusively banter. Uh, it's just people <laughs> arguing with one another. It, it's it's yeah, fights. It's it's ninety five percent comedy and five percent like maybe action horror, but not not too gory. It's more like yeah, just uh, kind of yeah, mainly comedy. So Adam. Uh, so yeah, so I'm Adam Beltane. I uh, I showrunner for the Force Majeure podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Force Majeure Pod. We also have a Facebook page and Instagram, but I don't really go there. Uh, we have a Discord, which is full of lovely people. Uh, there's your positive feedback. My Discord fam and um, and our Twitter followers are just like the most wonderful mm-hmm. people and the reason we keep doing this. So Force Majeure uh, is a Force and Destiny Star Wars show. So we're focused very much on the Force and we have two alternating campaigns. On our odd seasons is the Cold Fire Chronicles, which I run, which is... I mean, we we have our laughs, but it's a more serious campaign, I think, and it's kind of a horror tension, a small group of fugitives fleeing an Inquisitor and the Empire with the deck stacked against them. And our even-numbered season campaigns is Shadows of the Jedi, which is a little bit sillier, I think it is safe to say, which I play in 
which is set on the outer, in fact, close to wild space world of Kina Bale, a world full of broken things and lost civilizations, and a small group of misfits that um, make their way there and come across a secret that will change the course of the galaxy. Excellent. <laughs> Dwayne? I'm Dwayne. I'm the GM for Flight Risk. We're on Twitter at Flight Risk Pod. We have a Discord, but I mean, to be honest, if you go to the course at night in the Force Majeure Discord, you're going to see me there more than on my own Discord. That's where I always hang out anyway. Uh, Flight Risk, I, in my, like, I, I changed our Twitter uh, description because in reality, we're a Spaceballs-inspired show. It's just we're ridiculous. <laughs> and it's, I, it's a crime dramedy. We have dark people who are humorous doing bad things, and I lean heavily. If you like parodies, we've had Ninja Turtles. We've had Chuck E. Cheese. We've had Peter Pan show up. We do a lot of <laughs> wacky stuff that I enjoy throwing out there. And it is, it's dark and it's humorous. And yeah, if you love space balls and that kind of parody humor, that's where that's our bread and butter. Andrew. So I'm Andrew. I do run the Dicey Cantina podcast. We are a force and destiny anthology show as well. Focused on a lot of, uh, action and adventure on our planet called Druckenwell. So we've taken the Star Wars Galaxy Galactic Silver War conflict and we have shrunk it down to the happenings of a single planet, um, even a single cantina, the Dicey Cantina. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, uh, all the social medias at Dicey Cantina or hanging out on the Nightcast Discord, as everyone else has said. We even run, I, I've been a part of some of the live plays there for the other place, which is pretty good. Lots of fun. So you should come watch that sometime. And I am Mark from Coruscant Nights and the other place. And you can find both of those shows and more about them at nightcastcreative.com. Coruscant Nights is an anthology show that takes place mostly on Coruscant and follows everyday people uh, in the big city at the end of the Clone Wars. I actually have another thing to plug because I, for the last year, have been doing artwork for a game called Mouse, Cheese, Cat, Cucumber, which is going to be hitting Kickstarter on February 16th. So be sure to check that out as well. It's awesome. Thank you all for uh, coming and talking about making a podcast. Yeah. Good luck. Thank everybody. you for having us. Thanks, Thanks for playing yeah, us. Thank you. This has been great. I actually have one last question. We are at one hour, 59 minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> Predict what this is going to cut down to. Well, wait, well, who's doing you the cut me out? It <laughs> <laughs> all depends on who's editing. this all out, it will be 30 minutes. Yeah, you know, My I guess is it's going to be about an hour and 35. Yeah. I'm going to um, go under for an hour 15, but you're okay. probably right. Oh. Yeah. I, I think if I edit it, it's probably about an hour 45. If Adam edits it, it's probably going to be like 22 minutes. So we'll go there. <laughs> uh, and last but not least, I want to thank Ben from the Heidi and Way, Vlad, Marcus, Dustin from Greasy Panda Gaming, Dustin from Fantasy Talk Show, and Chaos Mod for their questions. If you have more questions about this sort of stuff, be sure to stop by those discords we mentioned. And happy Star Wars podcast day, everyone. Bye. Whoop, whoop. Okay. Do we all sing the Starbird song now? <laughs> Which one? We're the Starbirds. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey I love no, that. No, no, we're not going to do I, that. I put that, I put that song in flight <laughs> risk. I love it so much.